0: Having a clear understanding of the defects we suffer from is actually one of the most important aspects to making progress in interior life. Several weeks ago, we gave out a worksheet to help people get some idea what their predominant temperament is. It's uh, The quiz is not necessarily that precise. It's it's not. Uh, it can give us a general idea of our temperament, and of course, spiritual directors over the centuries have seen that this knowledge has proven to be very useful. The original plan was that today we'd take a look at each of the four temperaments, but because a few important issues have arisen, we're going to delay that till the next time I preach. So we will get to that, but not yet. That being said, there are two different issues I'd like to touch on today. The first one has to do with vaccines. Now, we put some information in the bulletin, but a quick review for background for those of you who may not realize it. Quote, I'll just read. Quote, perhaps one of the most highly misunderstood notions among moral theologians and ethicists is that the abortions involved for vaccines were not done with the intention of creating vaccines. Actually, it was the full intention of both attending abortionists and researcher present at the foot of the abortion table to destroy those babies, specifically to create vaccines. During the 1964 rubella epidemic, some doctors in Pennsylvania began advising pregnant women who contracted the disease to abort their child. In a controlled study group, the Wistar Institute worked directly with the abortionists to collect and dissect the fetuses. It's from the 27th fetus that researchers extracted the live virus in the kidney of the baby to be used in the rubella vaccine, Parenthetical remark, in Japan, they decided to make rubella vaccine by having a kid that had it, say ah, swabbed his tonsils and cultured it on a uh, chick embryo. The rubella virus, clinically named RA273, R stands for rubella, A stands for abortus, 27 is the 27th fetus they killed, 3 is the third tic- tissue explant, was then cultivated on the WI38 aborted fetal cell line. Later research paper reveals that 40 separate fetuses were aborted with virus terrains taken from 34 of them. This means that a total of over 80 separate elective abortions recorded were involved in the research and final production of the present day rubella vaccine. 21 from the original WI1 through WI26 fetal cell lines that failed, plus WI38 itself plus 61 from attempts to isolate the rubella virus. Close quote. Now, we've got more information you can get uh, out of the bulletin, the website, of course, Children of God for Life, and we thank Deb Vintage for all her great work in this field, exposing this. Now, how does this affect the average parent here? Rubella is not the only vaccine made with ground-up aborted baby parts. Here are vaccines to be avoided in the U.S., Every chickenpox vaccine readily available, shingles, rubella, that includes MMR, R stands for rubella. By the way, the last native case of rubella in the United States was the year 2000. There were eight cases in 2003 and nine and 2004, all from abroad. Hepatitis A. So chickenpox, shingles, rubella, MMR, anything with hepatitis A, those are all from grown-up babies. Some of the polio vaccines, rheumatoid arthritis, sepsis. You can see the chart uh, available at Children of God for Life. I just got some of this information yesterday, so we'll, we'll have this available next week, and we'll have copies of this available for all those who desire. It is not moral to do evil that good may come of it. It is not moral to use vaccines made with aborted babies. It's not moral. We've been through that before. It needs to be reviewed. Here's the new information that I want to draw to people's attention. Children of God for Life is conducting a nationwide study among homeschooling families to determine if there may be a link between aborted fetal vaccine DNA and autism or autoimmune disorders. Please let them know that all information is being kept confidential. and The study is critical information that could very well pinpoint autism to the DNA in aborted fetal cell lines. You can let them know that in the study of the Amish group who received all the vaccines except aborted fetal ones, there were zero cases of autism as compared to the national average of 1 in 150. If father or any parents have questions, they may call me. We'll put that out in the email and whatnot, and then I'll have this little little, uh, survey for those who don't have email. We'll send it out in the email bulletin, but we'll have copies of it next week. We just got it last night. That's why I don't have copies for everybody today. But I think this is really important scientific research because if this is what's going on, as she says, this could effectively end aborted fetal cell lines and vaccine forever if they're right. So it's really important. I'm not big on on necessarily participating in a lot of things. This would be something really, really good. And to to circulate that around communities or if you know people that that don't vaccinate or homeschoolers that do because they want to to get the information and put it all in there. Anyway... Okay, so that, uh, we'll send the survey form out in the e bolton Please form it to any homeschooling friends, anyone else, you know, that might do it. So the first topic is don't even think about vaccinating your children with these fetal tissue vaccines, and please help uh, hopefully stopping this diabolical practice by uh, filling out the survey forms, which we'll make available to you, and mailing them in. So that's the first topic. Second topic. There's a scripture we each need to take to heart. In the parable of the sower sowing the seed, which is found in the 13th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, some of the seeds fall on rocky ground. What happens? They spring up, but since they don't have deep roots, they soon wither. We need to be sure that our hearts are not rocky ground. Our Lord explains in Matthew 13:20 20 and 21, exactly what this refers to. Here's our Lord explaining As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Close quote, second person of the Blessed Trinity. He who hears the word immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. The scripture is clear. If our faith, our hope, and our charity aren't deeply rooted in the very depths of our soul, if God's holy word It's not deeply rooted in the very depths of our being. If we're not in love, and I mean in love, with the word who became flesh, who's alive. He's alive and he's dwelling right there, right now. If we're not in love with him, then when the tribulation and persecution breaks out, on account of the word, we'll fall away. Okay, hold that thought. Currently... There's a collection of characters who call themselves the New Atheists. Their big names include Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, P. Z. Myers. The cultural role they're playing today is essentially the same that that of Voltaire, what Voltaire played in the decades leading up to the French Revolution, to establish an atmosphere of complete and utter contempt for religious believers. And they single out, most particularly, Catholics. In the spring of 2007, Philip Johnson, founder of the Intelligent Design Movement, uh, academic lawyer formerly at Berkeley, writing to these new atheists, noted, quote, They're entering the public arena with the gloves off, determined to complete the demolition of the God delusion by landing whatever blows, high or low, are needed for the purpose Close quote. Which brings us to the point. In response to the reaction to the student in Florida who took a host from Mass, then held it hostage, P. Z. Myers, biology professor at the University of Minnesota, Morris, wrote on his blog, blog which incidentally in 2006 was ranked by the journal Nature, Nature and Science, the two most highly respected refereed scientific journals, This blog was rated by the journal Nature as the number one blog written by a scientist. I'll quote, but this is going to be extremely highly edited. Quote, can anyone out there score me some consecrated communion wafers? There's no way I can personally get them. Now that's a bald-faced lie. My local churches have steaks prepared for me, I'm sure. But if any of you would be willing to do what it takes to get me some, or even one, and mail it to me, I'll show you sacrilege, gladly and with much fanfare. I won't be tempted to hold it hostage, but will instead treat it with profound disrespect and heinous abuse, all photographed and presented here on the web. I shall do so joyfully and with laughter in my heart. Close quote. I note that on Thursday he says he's received the Eucharist from several people. Quote, so far the crackers I've received have been given to me in person or sent to my home address, close quote. It's clearly satanic. That's not what I want to draw everybody's attention to at this point. The first thing I want to note today is not so much what Myers and the student of Florida have done as what this means. I want to note what this means. What does it mean? Let's answer that by doing a thought experiment. Suppose some guy's standing there with his sister, quietly mind his own business. Some loudmouth comes swaggering up, yanks the quiet guy's hat off his head, throws it on the ground, stomps on it, spits on the sister, says something totally unacceptable to her, takes a hold of her under the arm and starts leading her away. It couldn't be clearer what's at stake. So with all due respect to our military personnel here, we don't need advanced degrees from some war college to understand exactly what this means. Suppose a man then doesn't defend his sister, just stands there, wringing his hands. That means something too. It's not hard to understand. And then suppose a man who won't defend his sister himself sends one of his littler sisters to go defend the older sister. That means something. It's really, really easy to understand. Okay. Last part of the scenario. Suppose some other predatory losers, weasels just hanging around watching the scene, and they saw the non-reaction of the man who won't defend his sister and then sends in the little girl. What's the message that guys like that are going to take from all this? Help yourself, boys. Make yourself to home. It's an open house. Is any of this hard to understand? Anyone here confused about a scenario like that? Okay, now let's look at the Florida case. Here we had an absolutely unbelievable public and highly publicized attack that strikes right at the very heart of our faith, a direct attack on the most blessed sacrament of the altar. And on the part of leadership, what was the response? Nothing but hand-wringing. Well, actually, no, that's not true. The diocesan leadership decided to send a nun to future masses at that campus to supervise and make sure this doesn't happen again. And that means something. That means something to anybody that's paying attention. It's easy to understand. And P.Z. Myers was hanging out watching, and he understood the response. So does everyone else who's paying attention. The mortal enemies of Christ and his church have just walked up and taken their very best shot and found out that they can have their way with our most precious treasure, and ain't nothing going to happen to them. That's what this means. It's just Playground 101. That, in turn, means something else. It means something for our country. It means the fun is only beginning. There are a lot of people here in our beloved country who really hate us and our holy religion. And they've been watching. And they understand what this means. Our faith better have deep, deep roots. If anyone here wasn't serious before, you better get prayed up. Second thing to note about all this is we have a serious obligation for the defense of the Blessed Sacrament. I don't think I need to explain what that means to this crowd. We need to have reverence in the presence of and reparation to our Lord in the most blessed sacrament of the altar. Reverence refers to our deportment. We want to make sure we're not lax. There's often a lax attitude on a part of good Catholics today, especially in regards to casual speech. We don't want to be talking in the presence of our Lord and the most blessed sacrament. If someone is here, they're new, they're lost. In charity, of course, we want to help them out. We don't want to just ignore them and say, well, Father says don't say anything. We help them out in a whisper. Charity comes first. Obviously, charity comes first. But we do it in a whisper, No talking. In the vestibule or here, show him the reverence and respect he deserves before, during, after Mass. Yes, the choir practice, I know they have to, they have to discuss certain things up there, but then it should be limited to choir topics, you know. Obviously, they have to because they're in the choir. Reverence applies especially during the consecration. Except in emergency, we shouldn't move during the consecration. The holy angels are flat on their face, so to speak. We should be motionless in the pews and praying. What about reparation? We need to make communions of reparation for all the injuries, blasphemies, and sacrileges hurled against our Lord. Not just by the P.Z. Myers of the world, but communions of reparation for all the Catholics that every Sunday go to communion, filthy with mortal sin, unrepentant, don't go to confession, and they come up and put our Lord into the sewer of their soul over and over and over again. And we need to make reparation for that. And pray God that their priests wake up and warn them, that they wake up. We need to make communions of reparation. If we don't, who will? Let's close. Everything in our holy religion is a means to an end. Everything here we do is a means to an end. And that end is a profound relationship with the most holy trinity, a union with the living God, a union in this life and please God forever in the next. And our Lord is going to let us help him carry a heavy cross. And it won't be long. We have a solemn word that if that union isn't profound, we'll fall away.